Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So who are we anyway? Well, I'm a lawyer. I mean, we just said, but okay. I know. But to amplify, oh, okay. I'm All an right. attorney and legal analyst. been doing that for a long time. A kind of a libertarian uh, baby boomer guy. How would you describe yourself, Connor? I would say I'm a millennial. Um, and uh, I'm definitely not uh, those things politically. I am very progressive. Um, as stereotypically so, uh, sort of avocado toast eating, no house owning, uh, freeloader type uh, liberal. I like that. And yeah. of course, I, I'm the dad and you're the son, right? That too. I got that right. That's important. So we are going to talk about several things that I hope you're really interested in. Number one, uh, just occurred to me after Donald Trump talked today to CPAC. This is Sunday, February 28, 2021. Uh my question is, will it take a prison term to keep Trump off of the November 2024 presidential ballot? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I'm thinking it might. We'll get it into might. what the CPAC people thought about Donald Trump. A couple of surprises, but yeah, I think it could well take uh, prison. Although, kind of, if you could research that issue, is it okay yeah. to run for office and actually serve serve time in the Oval Office while you're serving time in Leavenworth? Makes a lot of sense. It I'm seems like sure. multitasking. We'll, we'll look into that. Question number two we're going to get into is the Senate filibuster uh, history, because, you know, Democrats are kind of frustrated, especially progressives. Mm -hmm. They wanted this $15 an hour minimum wage thing, mm -hmm. and uh, the Senate parliamentarian is saying, oh, Put no, the you, kibosh can't, on that. you can't do that unless you, you run the whole thing by... Uh, by the entire Senate, uh, that is, get 60 votes to uh, to stop the filibuster. Right. So we'll, we'll get into that as well. And we're also going to talk about whether the Los Angeles Times is maybe a little too transparent in its bias in favor of certain Democrats. I think they're not transparent enough. Well, we'll see. I think that they should obfuscate things more. We'll get into that. Before we get our, our, into our topic, uh, first topic about uh, CPAC and Donald Trump, uh, I know this is a little digression, but when I was announcing the date for everybody to know, you know, when we're actually talking, right. I said February. Some people say February, right. even though last I checked, there's an R. Do you say Wednesday? Uh, no, you don't. Well, there you but, are. But would you agree with me that mm, the traditionally accepted and correct pronunciation of the month is February? Well, February is, yes, but February is really hard to say. It's a little harder to say. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But sometimes it's worth it to put in the extra effort. <laughs> Look, so with library, I find that library is oh, wait a not minute. that much easier. Nobody says library anymore. That's Dennis the Menace in 1959. Right, right. And I think that's important. And I think it, 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 it that one makes it, you know... It, with blackberries running around, you want to make sure there's no library also running around, so that would be confusing. Uh, so I always say library, and I'm very conscious of that. But it is the same sort of idea with the BR in the middle of the word. Yeah, do February you, slows you down a lot, but I do it. It slows you down a little bit. Do you look down upon people when you hear them say, hey, Connor, it's February 12th. No, what do you think of that? It's Lincoln's birth. Bit. I mean, 
it's Lincoln's birthday. Birthday with no. I, there's an R in there, but I'm not going to say. I it. Hear somebody on the radio say it's February one or. Feb- well, I hear a lot of people say on the radio 1. say February. Yeah, and I think that's totally fine. I mean, it's so you're very okay with people word. saying February. Just it doesn't bother you a little language. bit. Just torch the the dictionary, throw it in the gutter, and spit mm. on it. Why not? No, it doesn't bother me at all. All right, Trump and 2024. So CPAC had oh the big convention God. the last few days. Yeah. Uh, the headliner, the, the final speech it was uh, Donald Trump's speech. If people were expecting a little something different, Connor, I think they were kind of disappointed. Because what would they be expecting different from Donald Trump's know. speeches? He's given He's probably given more speeches that are mostly, you know, just coming from the heart, from him, him just ramping, than yeah. any other politician. I mean, the guy kept— kept giving these rally speeches throughout his entire political career and then into that that is sorry his entire uh, you know time in office that's basically his whole political career because he was not in politics before this we yeah, have heard more from him than know, anybody but, else but this business about they stole the election from me yeah i thought maybe he'll be he'll move on because he's got a lot of other red meat stuff to talk about he didn't move on i mean aren't people a little disappointed isn't it kind of boring and don't even a, a lot of hardcore believers at this CPAC convention, don't they say to themselves, hey, Donald, give up on it. You know, most people aren't going to be behind this business of, of it being stolen from you. Is that the way to win in, in 2020? He's going to be saying the same thing in four years, don't you think? Yeah, he absolutely is. And I think he just has to kind of put in the work here uh, to lay the groundwork so that everybody knows that this is still the message, is still the, the issue that we're harping on. Um, you know, let's we're, we're extremely horny for another insurrection. Let's definitely get that going. Unbelievable. Uh, It makes no sense. Now, they took a straw poll or two uh, among the CPAC members, and uh, this is an interesting number. People are kind of yakking about this. 65% of the people at CPAC said, yes, we want Donald Trump in 2024. And it's actually being perceived as bad news for him, Hmm. partly because, I mean, CPAC is sort of, you know, the, the base of the base. It's not just typical Republicans. It's, you know, sort of activist conservatives. Right. It's the name. Um, And so in in a way, maybe that's bad news for him, uh, because wouldn't you expect to see a much higher percentage of this group to say, yeah, we we want Donald Trump? Does does that number surprise you at all? Because it is being pitched as uh, interpreted as bad news for him. That's yeah, it might might be. I mean. You have to imagine that right after he loses an election is is going to be the the nadir, right? The, that's the low point, right? The low point of his popularity, and he will only grow with time as Joe Biden incurs some political fallout in form of a scandal, or you know, legislative failures, or an unpopular veto, or failing to fulfill some sort of campaign promises. There's two thousand dollars out there that you owe us, or whatever. That sort of a message is going to resonate and bounce around, and Donald Trump will get more popular as Joe Biden gets less popular. That's the general political process. So it would make sense to me that he's at his sort of lowest point now. I'm not uh, worried about the guy. I think he's going to bounce back, which is horrifying, tragic, and he shouldn't, but I think he's going to. I think he's going to grow in popularity. So the other poll that they took at CPAC was, okay, folks, imagine hypothetically, for whatever reason, there is no Donald Trump in the picture, so who do you guys like? And here's what, this is a little surprising, Ron DeSantis, the mm-hmm. governor of, uh, of Florida, Florida, right, way in front of everybody else with 43%. Again, this is, okay, you're Republicans, you're CPAC, Trump isn't in the picture. Who would you want? Number one, 
with a bullet is Ron DeSantis at 43%. And that's kind of, I think, a mark of the, like, that's, it's shocking because most of these polls this far out of an election are basically name recognition polls, right? They, they track almost exactly if you show, if you show people a list of people and you say, who are the people who you know on this list? Right. And there are people, well, somebody out there doesn't know Ted Cruz, somebody out there doesn't know Marco Rubio, doesn't know Lindsey Graham, doesn't know Ron DeSantis. And so they rank those people lower because they just don't know who they are. That's how popularity polls often work. And they track a, a name recognition poll almost exactly. But this far out from an election, Ron DeSantis does not have the name recognition of Ted Cruz. More people will know who Ted Cruz is than Ron DeSantis. And yet more people say they have a favorable opinion as a possible candidate for Ron DeSantis. And I think there's two factors that go into that. And one is uh, the taint, the stink of failure is all over Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. They've got scandals. They've got bad responses. They've got while they licked Trump's boots and therefore lots of people who don't know who who don't like Trump but are Republicans, which is a small fraction, but it, it but it is it is a fraction of, of people out there. They don't like them as a result. The other thing is that while name name recognition for DeSantis is lower, he's got a brand, and his brand is. COVID's not real. The Democrats are lying to you. Open up the government. You're probably Open up right. The economy. But there's another and they factor like that. that it didn't occur to me until just now. Uh, DeSantis is Florida's governor. CPAC was in Orlando, Florida. Oh, so I wonder maybe oh, disproportionate representation. Oh, yeah, I think you're of, right. Of That's a huge there. factor. But here's a, here's a weird one. Number two behind his 43% at 11% is Christy Noemi. Now, she's the governor, as I understand it, of South Dakota. And before I saw this poll, I didn't even know she you know who she was or yeah that's a very inside baseball yeah the, maybe she's just really really super conservative Number all these conservatives they're all they're all all the people at, at CPAC, of course, are all so in the game. They're all thinking about 2024. They're thinking about who's next and who's up. And if, if you know, you don't think that uh, Trump is going to be it or Trump needs a new VP, because Pence is certainly, oh, we don't like Pence. He's even worse than Hillary. I mean, you got to have somebody, right? So Donald Trump Jr. actually comes in third with 8%. And then God. Mike Pompeo and Cruz tied at 7%. Tucker Carlson is at 3%, also at 3 Josh. Hey, uh, Holly... Nikki Haley, Ivanka Trump, and Rand Paul comes in at two percent. Mike Pence is there at one percent. <laughs> now here's somebody I feel sorry for: Chris Christie, who made it very clear recently he'd really like to run in 2024. One tenth of one percent. That's right. He slipped off of the radar screen. So. Well, he he did fail to kiss the ring adequately when Trump was in office. So I mean, that's you know that's that's going to do it for you. I suppose it's death. When we come back, we're going to talk about whether the Senate's uh, filibuster rule is going to be history. But first, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out if you like uh, to hearing us uh, blabber every week. Check us out on whatever podcast platform you use. That's probably Probably Apple Podcasts, but it might be Stitcher, Spotify, or Podcast Addict, or any other. And make sure to leave us a comment and a little uh, five-star review so we know you're uh, enjoying the show and can change anything you like. Put it in there. Guys, you got to do the show naked. Uh, we'll do it. <laughs> we will do it in the buck uh, if you really want us to. Uh, just leave a comment. And stick with us. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. 
So question number two on our docket, Connor, is the Senate filibuster rule history. Now, you were giving me a hard time a couple of weeks ago when I was blabbing about the Senate parliamentarian having this rule and that rule about the filibuster. You were saying, you know, parliamentarian. Push your glasses up with your finger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this week it got more interesting. Certainly did. Because the Senate Democrats said, doggone it, we'd really like to boost the federal minimum wage up to $15 an hour. Thank you very much. Yeah. You should thank us very much. And so then the question becomes, well, um, is a filibuster in the Senate possible as to this rule about the minimum wage? So the filibuster in the Senate means that the anything the Senate passes, with a few exceptions we'll talk about, anything the Senate passes really needs 60 votes because every senator has the power to filibuster or blab away right. and stop a vote until they stop talking and they'll never stop talking. Now, that means you really got to be bipartisan and you got to wheel and deal in order to pass anything. You need 60 votes. And right now it's 50-50 Democrat and Republican. Right. So here's the exception to the filibuster rule. It's right. called the reconciliation process. You don't need 60 votes if all you're doing is making money decisions. For example, taxes. What do we take in taxes from folks? Spending decisions. What are we spending our money on? The deficit. How big should the deficit be? Should there be a debt limit? If it's about taxes and spending and the debt, that is okay to just pass a law 51 to 49 or 50-50 with Kamala Harris breaking the tie. So what's different about these decisions? Well, if, if you're just talking about spending and taxes. Keeping the lights on in government. Yeah, that's right. These are not basic policy decisions like should marijuana be illegal? Right. Should, uh, an, should an employer be forced to pay a worker $15 an hour? These are policy questions, or at least that's what a lot of people think. So yeah. when the Democrats recently said we want to do this $15 an hour thing, the question arose, is that a basic policy issue or is it just taxing and spending? The Senate parliamentarian gets to make that call, and she did, and and she ticked off the Democrats. The Democrats are now, Connor, faced with the question of whether they should change the rules to basically fire the parliamentarian, not yeah. give her the power, or get rid of this reconciliation rule. Yeah. Do you think that they're going to be so angry over this progressive move being thwarted by this fussy parliamentarian yeah. that they're going to say, you know, she can go off and do some other job so no, with the Senate? No, they're not going to change that because... There is a system in place with in with which the Democrats can overrule the Senate parliamentarian without getting additional votes from Republicans, but they won't do it. They won't do it because they won't fire her. They won't overrule her. They won't take her out for even a day. They're worried that when the Republicans take over down the road, then they're going to be in trouble. They won't do it because Joe Manchin won't go for this anyway. Joe Manchin's the most important guy in the Senate. He's the most conservative. Plus Kristen Sinema, the moderate Democrat from Arizona. It's true. There are a couple of moderate Democrats who now basically hold all the cards. They get to, uh, they're the weakest link in the Democratic whips chain, uh, and he can't get them all in line. And as a result, she, uh, Pelosi, can't get them all in line. And because she can't get them all in line, they can't pass this bill anyway. So it's actually a boon uh, to them that the parliamentarian uh, stops this because then they don't have to look like the Democratic Party can't get its act in gear to get all the its ducks in a row and actually get the votes there. So we don't actually have, uh, we being the Democrats, don't actually have a uh, a Senate majority if they can't get people like Man- uh, Manchin and, and Cinema in line. So this is a uh, uh, this is you know political theater. In truth, the 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 question of the parliamentarian and the sixty vote majority and the fifty versus the fifty one fifty one vote majority. It's all a real question of our 
values how democratic we want the Senate to be. And that is the core question. It's something you and I have talked about on this podcast and off the podcast a lot. How democratic do you want the Senate to be compared to the House of Representatives? Do you need one body of Congress that is more democratic and one that is less? There's no real reason why one branch has to be super undemocratic and one can be super democratic. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but you, you can have this, you can set up your government any way you want. Some people think the idea of a cooling saucer in the Senate where things don't get passed is, is the way to go. I mean, if that's the theory, then why not make it 100%? Why not make it 99 Well, that is the theory, and that's the structure. And I yeah. think the founders were very concerned about the, the passions of the masses running the show, and that's why they built in all these checks and balances. Well, it wasn't the, the founders specifically. It was the founders from small states who knew that they wanted more political power. In order to get them on board, the founders, even if we're thinking the founders were super geniuses who saw all this coming and knew all well, this was but great, I mean, the founders they, are Virginia and New York and and Pennsylvania were right. the folks who were the most powerful. And so they were, they're the ones that, that drove the yeah. debate, the Federalist Papers and yeah, so on. And, and the they were really powerful, the but they wanted all of the small states to get on board. And so they had to throw them a bone. And the way they threw them a bone was to say, you're going to have vastly overrepresented uh, power in the Senate. So it's all going to be okay. So let's all get on board together and make this whole thing united so that we can, you know, uh, face down Britain, right? So this is this is them saying, we need buy-in from small states. And the small states saying, okay, as long as you give us disproportionate power, we're in. Now, not infinitely disproportionate, because the big states, the populous states like New York at the time, they would never put up with the idea that uh, you know a single Delaware could slow uh, throw a gear into the works and never let anything pass, ever. So there was a delicate negotiating balance. Now, did they think this all through? Did they have perfect information? Did they convey, was it like a game theory optimal uh, organization that they came to? Or was it a bunch of fallible humans slapdash throwing things together and running proposals by each other and saying what do you need to make this happen to make to get this uh get this thing signed and, and get us all on board here because we got a common enemy to face down that's a lot more like what really happened everybody here is fallible and everybody here has made mistakes they also probably half of them probably thought that you know uh, the earth was flat or whatever because it was the 1700s actually that's not true people have known that the earth was round since like so long ago and the idea that the founders thought Columbus sailed the ocean blue 1492 Columbus actually was way behind the times he was a complete idiot and everybody knew the earth was uh, was was round Um, and Columbus actually thought that the earth was like a weird hourglass shape or something and he could like cut a corner he's a he's a crazy person but but even back then they knew the world was round I mean it was it was wild so whether the Los Angeles Times switching gears to uh, the LA Times uh, sure. alleged bias <laughs> get me off of Columbus yeah yeah are they too transparent in their bias now the thing that got me going here I'll show you this uh, this picture and folks who are listening to the podcast can't see it but I'll do my best to describe it so it's uh, LA Times California section Saturday February 27th and above the fold here is a, a heroic shot heroic of Governor G- uh, Gavin Newsom. And for those of you who don't know all about Gavin Newsom, I'll, I'll try to describe it. He's standing there in really stylish, stonewashed uh, jeans. Oh, nice. Uh, he's wearing uh, this great sweater with the with the quarter zip down front and, and the popped collars. He's got this cool California bear logo on his sweater, cool. as well as a couple of bears on his yeah. black mask. Nice. He doesn't have a single percentage of body fat uh, on him. And he is looking at this young 10-year-old kid who's getting a COVID shot 
at a vaccination clinic for farm workers in Fresno. And he has this huge smile on his face. Even though he's wearing a mask, you can tell he is smiling. <laughs> yeah, Look yeah, at yeah. his eyes. Oh, oh he okay. smile from the yeah. eyes. Yeah, now, absolutely. where is the camera? Where's the photographer? The photographer is standing behind the little boy mm-hmm. and behind the doctor administering the shot. Yeah. The doctor has sort of, her arm is forming an L uh, of holding the boy's arm with one hand and then with her other hand, she's injecting uh, the vaccine. But in the L of the arm, you can see this heroic shot of Gavin Newsom. Heroic. Looking, beaming down beatifically. Beatifically. Son, uh, I believe I've saved your life. Saved your life. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think maybe... There's a little bit of, of pro-Democrat bias in that photograph. And if you have some question, in the same day's paper, I want to describe another photograph. Uh-huh. It's a picture of uh, a, uh, a Brenda, little Brenda Thompson is at a Washington, D.C. grocery store getting her COVID-19 vaccine. Aww. And the camera person is behind the doctor administering the, the uh, shot to little Brenda Thompson. And there in the distance, what do you see, Connor? Would you say that's Kamala Harris with an enormous Beatific smile. That is a very similar shot. Actually. Very similar shot. It's really interesting it, it, that they it's, put. It's, the, it's the, heroic Democrats, Democrats saving the lives of little children. That's really good. Is there any chance there's a pro Democrat bias going on in the preparation of that day's Los Angeles Times? You know, or am I just being a panicky guy, a paranoid person? You know, I think you might be a little bit. <sighs> A little bit. Uh, I would say we're cherry picking here. Yes, these are two very similar, very positive these photos. These are very sweet, very attractive cherries. But these are, these are photos that the politicians themselves, you know, set up. We, you get, you're always going to get a photo. Yeah, but of the a LA Times photographer doesn't say, "Hi, Governor Newsom. How would you like me to set up this photograph that'll be above the fold in the California section?" You're absolutely right. He doesn't say that, and instead, he just takes a picture of a politician at a photo op. I mean, what are you going to do? LA Times also published a a, a big article yesterday at, at, titled "As Recall Threat Go, uh, Recall Threat Grows." California Governor Gavin Newsom shifts his governing style, pushing reopenings. The article's all about how he's basically caving uh, and and giving into the restaurant organizations. Don't you think he's he's caving because he's worried that he will get recalled if he doesn't put the kids back in school and the in a few months? Open restaurants and stuff like that, and because these are very right. powerful lobbies, absolutely right. And he's and, been keeping the kids out of school because of the power of the teachers' union. And the L.A. Times is writing this big op-ed about how he's you know uh, falling down on the job and and just you know caving to the political oh, winds. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear so, that. So, you know, then. I think there's a little bit of, you know, pushback. Uh, they uh, give him it, the photographs and yeah. they take uh, away I mean, the you editorials. Gotta, the man's a, such a dashingly handsome man. You, no matter what photo you take of him, he's got so much look, gel right? in his hair. <laughs> When, Gosh, I'm when, coughing up the storm here. When we come back... Oh, no, I have COVID. When we come back, a lightning round. We're going to race through several topics. Are the Muppets yeah. politically incorrect? Should, uh, Joe, yes, no. uh, should Joe Biden share control of nuclear weapons? And with me. Do, do we want a prosecutor in Los Angeles who hates cops and wants to abolish prisons? Connor and I are going to get one's into an easier one. all of that stuff when we come back here on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roy And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, the Muppets, everybody loves them. Of course. Disney. Uh, Disney hates them. It's, I don't know that Disney hates their own IP, but there, okay. There's the age-old question, who would win in a fight between Superman and Batman, right? But now That's we a have toughie. a modern version of the quandary. If you've got a cage fight between Mickey Mouse and Kermit the Frog, who walks out alive? I know it oh sounds my gosh. far-fetched, but, but get a load of this. Disney has, uh, they stream the Muppet show on yeah. Disney+. Plus. 
they are putting a warning, Disney is, on the streaming that, that it has offensive content. The Muppets have right. offensive content. Disney apparently is so woke that it says the show features stereotypes and mistreatment <clears throat> of people or cultures. Right. Instead of removing this content, Disney says, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. They conclude by saying that it's committed to creating stories with aspirational themes that reflect the rich diversity of the human experience around the globe. Right. I guess, Connor, it's a small world after all. Mm. So, I Do mean, you think that maybe somebody at Disney has, mm. has lost their mind? Or are you okay with this? No, I, I mean, the real question is, do you edit, censor, or remove certain episodes, or do you just leave of it the up? the Muppets? Yeah, the Muppets- Isn't that like a Donald Duck cartoon? The Muppets include a lot of stuff that reflect the time in which the Muppets were created. Yeah. Specifically, there's an episode of, where, of the Muppets where Johnny Cash sings an inspiring and dramatic ballad in front of a Confederate flag. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to do? Do you digitally remove- How did that happen? How did the then- fairly woke producers of the Muppets allow him to stand in front of a symbol of slavery. Because it was a really long time ago before, they, you know, blah, black lives 1920s? Matter. More like 19... The Muppets ran from 1976 okay. so to Disney 1981. should put a warning. Hey, folks, you know, you're going to see Johnny Cash in front of a Confederate flag. We, yeah. It's going to be irritating to you. It, it's... I mean, really? Do people need that? Especially after we've just gone... We've taken down the statues. We've burned the flags. I don't know that we've burned why, any flags. Why do you we need are to warn, warn kids that Johnny Cash might be in the vicinity of a Confederate flag? Because he's glorifying this symbol of how do, you know, how do you know his song isn't, I hate this flag behind me? Could it be. It wasn't. And it's, it's, yeah. That's not a very Johnny Cash thing to do. They would put the flag up there if his well, song was about It wasn't about a very good it. impression of Johnny Cash. Another one so, that, yeah. that Disney has put a warning in front of uh, Lady and the Tramp because the uh -huh. Siamese cats in Lady and the Tramp, uh -huh. which is a show, a, mo a movie about dogs, and there are talking cats in, in the movie also, and they're Siamese, and by visual de depiction and by their accents, they're anti-Asian stereotyping. So what do you do? Do you edit out the scene with the Siamese cats? What if it's an important part of the plot? What about Dumbo? Dumbo has a bunch of black crows that are representative of Jim Crow right. era South, right? Like, so characters. we need to put a warning on Huckleberry Finn? Well, well, Huckleberry Finn is different. Huckleberry Finn is like not a, uh, well, sure, you it's, could put a warning on it's Huckleberry It's at a higher quality could, level, right. I think, than a, than a Dumbo cartoon. Right, I mean, and Huckleberry Finn, when it was written, was a critique of the society, right? Written in it, you're, you're meant to see the, the people using racial slurs and treating black people So you think people should slaves. be, we should put a warning at the, on page one, before page one of Huckleberry Finn. So- Huckleberry Finn is not necessarily designed to be enjoyed by eight-year-olds on Disney+. Plus. Huckleberry Finn is taught in schools. Now, if you're right, if you put something in a textbook, you may not need to put a warning in, but maybe you should. Right. You expect the teacher to be able to handle that. If you put, if you print a book for general publication and it's like an adult reading level or a 12th grade reading level or whatever Huck Finn is, I don't know, maybe it's a 10th grade reading, it's probably a 12th grade reading level, you maybe don't have to put a warning on it. But Lady and the Tramp, The Muppet Show, these are meant right. to be enjoyed by people who are 
five, four, three years old, and they might need their parents to get their parents to have a heads up to say, hey, this content may be designed for a five year old, but it's got some it's got some objectionable themes. Maybe this is a teaching opportunity for your kid to explain to them. This is from another time All right, well, before we'll, we'll, they respected. We'll make sure five year olds don't uh, know that the Confederate flag. I think bad. Disney's doing okay. this right. The real question is, have they done enough? You're just looking for a free ticket to Disneyland if yeah. they ever open Disney, up. If you're listening, Walt, Walt, uh, are, right. you, are you there? He's frozen. Oh, okay. So uh, and that's the name of their movie, too. So um, <laughs> set item two on the lightning round is should Joe Biden share control? Of, of uh, nuclear weapons. You know, uh, this is an amazing headline, Connor. Dozens of congressmen want President Biden to relinquish his sole authority to launch nuclear weapons. Yeah. Those Republicans, you know, they've been saying he's demented. Guys barely had a chance to warm up the chair in the Oval Office. And, oh, wait, it wasn't Republicans. It was two dozen Democrats right. in the House yeah. who want Biden to share the power to blow up the world. Right. They say that he probably would consult with others about this fateful decision, but he doesn't have to under the law. And they want a formal requirement established that he has to talk to the Federal Emergency Management Agency. And he has to talk to Nancy Pelosi because sure. she's, speak, she's Speaker of the House. Sure. Um, I mean, this is going to make decades of movies obsolete, Connor. Right. Dr. Strangelove and Failsafe yeah. and well, War Games. Absolutely. They're not going to make any sense. Are you okay with these Democrats in the House forcing Joe Biden to, to fuss with a bunch of people? I think it's a great... Before he pushes the button? Yeah, I think it's a great uh, idea to start in, in introducing controls and limits on the presidency when your guy's in the seat. That's a good opportunity to say, look, I'm not yeah, just doing it's this... not political. Yeah, yeah, I'm not just doing this because I don't like Trump. And I think that he He's, you know, crazy and will do something dumb. What if their real motive is they're convinced Trump's going to be president uh, in uh, January 2025? That's an extremely smart uh, what move a crystal to ball make they've got to, low, to, to limit the power to, to deploy nuclear weapons if Trump might be president. I think that's another great What if they pass an abolition of the presidency uh, on the brink? Also of- a great idea. We probably don't need one. <laughs> Well, they haven't always helped us. Yeah, they made a lot of mistakes in the past. So final question, Connor. Um, I have a guess as to how you might come out on this one. It may. Do we want a prosecutor who hates cops and wants to abolish prisons? Does she so, have a tattoo that says ACAP? I think she probably I wouldn't does. be surprised. George Gascon, he's the new district attorney in Los Angeles County. He has been under fire for being rather progressive. So he's appointed. He's also been praised by me for being uh, rather oh, progressive. Oh, several people. Several people several in people are. to you have praised him. He's appointed a, a new prosecutor who, in his office, has kind of turned up the flame on this, uh, him being under fire. Her name is Tiffany Blacknell. She's a former public defender. Now she's with the DA's office. She has kind of a controversial trail of tweets. She's called the LAPD barbarians and an occupying army. She says these cops are trained to kill us. She urged those complaining about last year's shooting in Santa Monica to cry me a river. And she's on record saying prison is obsolete. We need to reimagine America without it. We've been warehousing our people for generations and it's time to free America. So her defenders say, look, uh, we've got a systemic racism problem uh, and mass incarceration needs to be fixed. So let's give her a chance. And all her ideas sound really good. Yeah. And, and but and a lot of people are uncomfortable with a prosecutor saying that the LAPD are barbarians. So how do you feel as a progressive about it? Are you comfortable with her well, being you know a prosecutor how, in this here county? I, I, I seem to remember on this podcast, you and I having had a similar discussion where you said somebody with, you know, I would say generally objectionable views or, uh, you know, representing a minority of Californians should be in the room because we don't want California to be run by a one party sort of uh, system where all the opinions are the same. And in the prosecutor's office, doesn't this turn the party into a rave? 
in a in the prosecutor's office, you may uh, you may recall that there are a lot of people who are pro police, people who will fight real hard to make sure that they are unsuccessful when they attempt. Are you to saying they're not fighting for the truth? They're extremely pro police, and they're. The, the, I'm going to take that as a <laughs> yes. They're not fighting. For and the truth. on the other hand, you've got public defenders who, like this gal, former public defender, often think that the police are by default in the wrong. And it might, in my opinion, I think it's a good idea to bring into the DA's office a bunch of people with differing viewpoints. And in this case, uh, maybe some people who uh, won't won't be so willing to give the cops the benefit of the doubt. I think you're right there. She's not going to give the cops. We can agree on that. See, we've come full circle. We've found some agreement. Common ground. That should be the new name of the podcast. Common ground with Royal and Connor. When we uh, talk to you uh, folks again, it won't be February anymore. Oh, so so sad. It'll be be March. We'll see you next time on Too Many Lawyers. Have a great week.